Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Films. Hello, everyone. Don't panic. It's episode 42 Ooh. of Comfort Films podcast. That was uh, a Hitchhiker's Guide reference. So I'm just getting the, the geekiness all out up front. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we'll try to keep some of it in, you know, I mean, we like to, you know, mix it up. Yeah, not really. We just like to stay geeky the whole time. Yeah, I've it's never cool. really been cool. I, I wanted to be, but it, it didn't really come <laughs> for me. Yeah, we've covered that. <laughs> <laughs> well, today is very special because we have a special guest uh, joining us, Claire White from Why the Flick podcast. If you haven't listened to Why the Flick, you got to go on over there and check it out. Claire and Elizabeth uh, run that podcast, and it's fantastic. Very, we, very we good really stuff. love not only listening to them, but also uh, looking at their Instagram content. Um, so it was just a natural fit for us to check in with these guys and see if if they could join us. And Claire was able to. Um, she's a social media manager and co-host of Why the Flick. And on that podcast, they are two friends and former journalists where they ask the hard-hitting questions about movies. Her favorite films include Mrs. Doubtfire, Guardians of the Galaxy, and today's selection, Jurassic Park. So thank you so much for joining us, Claire. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Great. And thank you for suggesting Jurassic Park because, you know, it's just really serendipitous because it fits in with our kind of summer blockbuster type theme um, that we've been doing. And... It's just a great pick. Yeah. I mean, it brings us back to Steven Spielberg, right? Yes. Yeah. Just a couple films ago, we're talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark. And here we are back again. I yes. mean, wow. And I don't think we had done any Spielberg no. before. And then suddenly we're just, well, <laughs> but when you start doing blockbusters, Spielberg is going to show right. up. Right. You know? Absolutely. The, the guy can't really make a, a not hit. No. Yeah. And why the flick just did Jaws, which exactly. was fantastic. Yes. And it was a great episode. We highly encourage oh, you to go check you. that out. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that the lady swimming at the beginning was a stunt person. Yeah. I had no oh, idea yeah. that they had cables attached to her and they were pulling her to get the movement they yes. needed. And the fact that you said that, like, even if there was trouble, no one would know because she was screaming anyway, because she was acting. Exactly. Wow. I love yeah. that you guys said she needed a safe word. <laughs> uh, the so safe true. word is stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But yeah, so and there's some stuff in this, too, that felt uh, uh, perilous. Jurassic Park is... A definitely a perilous feeling movie yeah i mean they get you with you know little things at the beginning and it keeps building and building and building and that lasts 30 minutes yeah doesn't Whoa. let up like at all yeah i still jumped i jumped when laura dern was down in the basement ellie and she's putting the power back on and then we have the velociraptor just come through right after she's turned the power on which also has electrocuted tim you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And then she thinks she's safe. She's like happy for a split second. She gets this Velociraptor coming, goes over, and then she finds Sam Jackson's arm. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
I know. It just like falls on her and she goes, oh, Arnold. And then she turns and then you see just the arm come out, bloody stump uh, and all. Oh, God. Ugh. Oh, my God. It's so, it's just perfectly terrifying. I mean, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about this more as we discuss the episode. I mean, the, the film, because it just, there's so many set pieces in this that I remember. Yeah. And I was saying, I haven't seen this movie as many times as maybe some of the other movies that we do. Um, no. Because this came out when I was, okay, so this came out in 93. Yep. I was like 15. So I think I was kind of maybe a little bit older than the kids who would have been most interested in this. Like my sisters were probably 11 or 12, and I think they really wanted to see it. Um, but I don't think I went and this was kind of an, a time in my life when I was kind of more into music mm. and I really didn't get into going to the movies all the time until maybe the next year. So somehow I missed this at that time and didn't really see it again. I didn't really see it until after you and I were together, probably like 15 years later. You are robbed time and time again <laughs> in your youth. I mean, I remember yes. going to this. I wanted to see dinos i got <laughs> dinos i mean this is something that that i wanted you know and it was like a dream to see all these creatures come to life because yeah. i love dinosaurs growing up you know see i wasn't much of a dinosaur person either oh my god i mean th- we are married though we are i promise <laughs> so tell us claire this is your favorite movie this is your favorite comfort movie tell us why <laughs> Yeah, so when you guys asked me to kind of pick comfort movies, I kind of thought through a few different things. So one being, when I'm really sick, what do I like to lay in bed and watch reruns of? Or, you know, when I'm scrolling through TV and, you know, movies, different movies are on different channels, what's going to make me stop and watch? And time and time again, it's always Jurassic Park. I absolutely love this movie. It keeps me engaged and entertained from start to finish honestly I feel like the pacing in this movie is great um but it's like a complete 180 from when I first watched it so I was probably it came out in 1993 and I was three years old so I really didn't see it until maybe a couple years later when I was five and that was probably still too little to see this movie um, because it really terrified me and, and scared me And so I, you know, had dinosaur nightmares constantly. And then a few years after that, when I was a bit older, I watched it again and really enjoyed it. Still a little scared, but um, loved it. And then into adulthood, I've just loved it ever since. Oh, that's real. That's good. That's a good turnaround story. Because, yeah, I can imagine if you were like that small when you saw it, it would have been super scary. Yeah, because these dinosaurs are, like, coming for you. Yeah, and and you're in the (laughs) position of, like, the kids, like Lexi and Mm -hmm. Tim, like, you know, when the T-Rex attack happens, and they're in the the Jeep. It's really scary. Yeah, absolutely. So how many times do you think you've seen this? You know, I've been asked this before, (laughs) and I couldn't even tell you. I probably watch it every few months in a year um so times that by you know I probably started watching it pretty heavily once I was in my 20s so times it by that amount someone else can do the math I'm not great at math but it's it's been a lot double digits then for sure yes absolutely I watched it twice in preparation for this uh (laughs) this episode yeah we watched it like one and a half yeah I would say um because yeah we watched like 
all of it and then we kind of watch the beginning again because in my mind like the second half kind of takes over because once the action starts and they're running from the threat it's very you know immediate yeah yeah how, well, how about you how many times have you seen it i'd say you know i would say i'm in double digits but i i would say i'm on the lower end i'd say i've probably seen this over the years about 12 times mm-hmm. um it for me it was something where you know when it came out it was huge everyone was there and then, you know, when it came out on video, it was on TV, it's like you would just see it all the time. Like I would see pieces of it or I'd, I'd see clips of it. So I felt like I was really like saturated with it. Like I enjoyed it. I watched the sequels. I was on board. But it's like I can't tell you how many times I saw parodies of like the water in the cup. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, the water in the cup. Here we go. <laughs> you know, yeah. but it was like. You know, for me, it was something where I really enjoyed just seeing, like, if I'm saying this right, because I had to double check myself, the, the Brachiosaurus, 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 Bra- Brachio. Brachiosaurus. It's kind of what used to be a Brontosaurus when we were little, and then yeah. they changed it. That was a, you know, that was a heavy blow to me. <laughs> I, I love the Brontosaurus. <laughs> and, and so it's like, when we see the Brachiosaurus, did I get it right? You're close enough. Oh, man. All right. (laughs) So when I saw that creature and it was like really nice. And then like Sam Neill, like started singing with them. You know, they're up in the tree. He's up in the tree with Tim and Lexi. I'm like, this is awesome. You know, they lean in, they get to pet them. (laughs) Those are my type of dinosaurs. And he calls it like, he says, think of it as like a big cow. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was great. Exactly. Yeah. We like the nice ones. I do like the nice ones. I mean, though, growing up, I I was a T-Rex fan and I don't have really any, any reason. It isn't like I wanted destruction. I think I just liked the fact that it, it stood up straight. I think I liked that. Yeah. I mean, I think every, I think most people probably have that. Like I know a lot of people who are very into the T-Rex. Yeah. There's just something about it. It might just be like a society thing. That was you too? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember distinctly like having a conversation with a friend in school once and they said, which dinosaur would you be? And I said, T-Rex. It's no question. Hands down. Right. Yeah. It's like the king of the dinosaurs. I think like people right. really think about it. I, on the other hand, am a weird person. So I always like the Triceratops the best. Ooh, that's another good I one. I think I just like, like a the good big pick. thing on his head. I don't know. Yeah. Like that plate. He's kind of like a rhino dino. That's good mm-hmm. way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's got like the horn. I like Triceratops. And I think that also could be because of that cartoon movie, The Land Before Time. Okay. My sisters really liked that movie and I ended up watching it a lot. And I think there was like a really adorable Triceratops in that. Oh. Okay. Yes. Tri- yeah. Yeah. Her name was Sarah Triceratops. Yes. So her name was Sarah. Yeah. I think my sister may have even had like a stuffy of it or something. Like she loved it. Wow. Um, you guys have got that like land before time. When I hear it, I'm like, I know the title. I have, I have no image up here. It's kind of a bummer, honestly. Oh, no. So I would be like, there's some bummer stuff. It is sad. Yeah. I hate that when a movie's like billed as being a good time. And then it's like a major, major drag. Well, you know, when I, this is super off topic, but when I look back at a lot of the kids cartoon type movies that we mm-hmm. watched, you know, growing up, 
there are so many of them where one of the parents dies. Like, yeah. it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why would you put that in a kid's movie? It was just kind of like a yeah. plot device. Like, at the beginning, it's like any movie that I remember in the 80s. So I was just programmed to think if you had a best friend, it was going to die within the first 15 minutes. You know, <laughs> the love of your life dead in 15 <laughs> minutes. So, like, anyone you're close to at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, yep, dead man walking. You know, um, I don't know. It, it was it was kind of kind of weird. Yeah, that, but yeah. So that's my warning on Land Before Time. Okay, there's some mm. bummerific yeah. stuff happening in that. So like has Lion King style. Oh man, <laughs> I love Bambi. Muf- Bambi, yeah, yeah. I love Mufasa, guys. Yeah. And that's, I, oh yeah. So Land Before Time, stay away. Okay. But again, my sisters loved it. It was like a big movie when I was. That was probably in the 80s, I guess. So. Um, I was kind of, I was a kid-ish yeah. when that happened. Um, but I'm surprised you missed that because you saw everything. I probably saw it. And it's weird for me to like forget, but it's like now that I'm older, I'm like, gee, I kind of don't remember that one. <laughs> but it's like, you know, when you have like this steady diet of movies, like I'm a guy that just watched movies all the time. Yeah. When I was growing up, I did not want to watch television. I just wanted to watch movies. And that's all I watched. Like when we would have like a free HBO weekend, I would literally watch it the entire time. I had a VCR just tape it. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm that guy. Yeah. So speaking of that, yeah. to change it, has anyone read the book of Jurassic Park? Yes, <gasps> I have. Right. I have not. So. I have not. Talk to us. So tell us oh, about great. that. Oh my gosh, the book is amazing. So the book is by Michael Crichton mm-hmm. and it came out in 1990. So it was a pretty quick turnaround from when they when he wrote the book to when they created the movie and I think actually Michael Crichton hadn't quite even finished the book before Spielberg came in and wanted to buy the rights to make the movie version. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like for the book, it's mostly the same as far as what happens, like major plot points. Um, There are obviously a few differences. Some um, scenes in the book aren't necessarily in the movie. Also, I think the book is 10 times gorier as far as the descriptions of how people get killed and, you know, people get sliced open and it goes into detail about people getting eaten alive. And so all of that's not quite in, you know, in the movie, but yeah, it's, there's also some differences between who lives and who dies. Um, And so the, but the biggest difference is the character of Hammond and how he is, is portrayed in the book versus the movie in the movie he's kind of this lovable you know eccentric character and in the book he's much more of a villain and a horrible person i'll say okay well i think that that would have been difficult with richard attenborough right because he's kind of like this friendly old guy and he is kind of like a um i mean he's a rich guy who kind of just wants to do what he wants to do Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's not like any ill will, in my opinion, behind Mm -mm. it. No, I mean, and he kind of looks like Santa Claus. That's what (laughs) I kept thinking about. And then like the following year, he plays Santa Claus in Miracle on 34th Street. I thought that was funny, too, because I I kept thinking of him looking like Santa Claus, too. But I didn't realize that was him in that movie. And then when you said, oh, he looks like Santa Claus. And guess what movie he did next? I was like, Miracle on 34th Street. And this is the same guy that directed (laughs) Gandhi won an oscar right and he also won like best picture for gandhi like this guy is like 
a jack of all trades. When I heard mm -hmm. Richard Attenborough, I was like, oh, the actor. Yeah. And then I'm like, wait, no, he's director, too. Like, this guy's everything. Yeah. Um, it's funny because I think that as much as the dinosaurs kind of overtake this movie, I think that the characters in this are so well drawn, too. And they're so distinct, like what each one does and what each one of them, their points of view is. Because you have, you know, Hammond, who's running the place. And he just, at first, kind of really just wants them to sign off on it. Mm -hmm. um, but then he kind of has a change of heart over the course of it. And then you have, like, Grant, Sadler, Malcolm. I mean, he's... I like it when they first introduce him, they say he has an excess of personality, which is yes. probably true of Jeff Goldblum as well, but we love him for that. He's great. What does he say? He's like, that's a future uh, Mrs. X Malcolm. Yeah, X Mrs. Malcolm. Yeah, Thank he's you. always on the lookout. He, yeah, and he is just laying it on, you know? Oh, yeah, from the minute, from the minute he's meets ellie he's like you know buttering it up yeah he is a little bit of a creep i think to to ellie just you know as far as like i think the first thing he says in the helicopter is i refuse to believe you don't know anything about attraction and oh, then yeah. she just like blushes and turns away and hammond goes you i bring the scientists you bring the rock star <laughs> yeah. uh, to the lawyer guy <laughs> yeah yeah the lawyer insurance company guy Actually, it's kind of oh hilarious in this, too. Yeah, he's he's an amazing character actor. His name is Martin Ferrero. And then I believe the lawyer's name, if I'm not mistaken, is Gennaro, <laughs> which is yes. kind of funny. So it's like, you know, that guy I always remember from, like, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. You know, he's the one that Steve Martin and John Candy have to barter with to get a hotel room for the yeah. night or a motel room for the night. Um, but he's he's in so much. But he's great in this and, you know. He's just the perfect kind of coward, I guess, because like the whole time he's just so focused on what they have to do. And like, I have to be honest with you, I don't understand why they would have picked Dr. Malcolm to be the guy to approve this for them. Because, I mean, okay, Grant and Sadler make sense because you've got a paleo paleontologist and a paleobotanist who actually know about dinosaurs yeah. <laughs> coming to check this out and say if it's okay or not. Malcolm is a mathematician, I guess. And so while he has a lot of ideas and he's smart, clearly, I'm not sure what kind of input he would have on the safety. I guess maybe if it's probabilities and things like that, but it seems mostly that he is there just for, you know, the excess of personality. <laughs> yeah. So he's a chaotician in the movie. And I guess, I'll, I guess as far as that goes, it's supposed to, he's supposed to be able to predict, you know, the viability of the island and if, if things are going to go wrong, which obviously they do. <laughs> and so um, I think it's interesting because Gennaro brings in Malcolm and then Hammond brings in Grant and Sattler. And when you first see Gennaro, he's very much like, we need to make sure this island's safe and I'll shut you down if it's not. But then once he sees the dinosaurs, he has like a complete switch and he's like, we're going to be rich. We're going to make so much money off of this place. Um, and so it's interesting when you look at his character and how quickly he succumbs to the fame and fortune of the park. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think Malcolm is kind of 
against it from the beginning. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, but in a really ironic way like i mean everything he does is kind of in an ironic way Mm -hmm. but you know he's just like yeah we're here we're probably gonna die like everything (laughs) he just continuously thinks that everything is gonna go wrong that you know i mean and he's right you know from the beginning they're like oh you know we have all these contingencies that we built in you know we only created female dinosaurs so there's no reproduction and you know that's when he does his perfect line life uh finds a way (laughs) and he's right you know um because i was thinking when they did like okay this is actually a brilliant kind of thing that i think spielberg did is having like that video at the beginning of like the ride oh yeah where it Mm -hmm. kind of explains everything about how this happened because i'm guessing that was a lot of pages in the book condensed yeah down into that, a i don't even amount. think i don't even think that exists in the book and so the video is really just like an exposition dump so that you can get a sense of like how they created the dinosaurs and from you know start to finish you kind of connect the pieces once you see the amber the mosquito in the amber and you're like oh i see why there were a few scenes back where these miners were trying to find mosquitoes and amber and so then you're like oh that makes sense and then um they just go into you know the frog dna of it all and you know that obviously comes up again later which i think is a great callback but yeah that was definitely here's and a whole entire explanation of everything that we did in this cute little cartoon (laughs) yeah and i was thinking you know what was the logic behind this amphibian dna because basically dinosaurs are either lizards or birds or some kind of midpoint between the two i personally love to think about t-rex as like a giant chicken um because chickens do look like dinosaurs if you just look at their face (laughs) and i thought it was actually really interesting because i never registered when i watched this that at the beginning grant is talking about the dinosaur similarity to birds um, because I really mm-hmm. didn't start hearing about this more bird centric look at dinosaurs until, I don't know, maybe the last five years. I always thought about them as like, you know, thunder lizards. <laughs> um, but you know, the bird thing is actually super interesting and now they found dinosaurs with feathers and yeah, you know, I think that's crazy, but true. Like the carnivorous dinosaurs are thought to mostly have had feathers. I can't even picture mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I can't even like it blows my mind. Like, yeah, I just thought that they were just these tough, leathery beasts, you know, yeah. that just owned the world. Yeah. And like when I put them with feathers, it really makes it funny. Like they could still destroy me, but I think I might be laughing when they did it. You know, <laughs> Well, but you're eating them, you know, you're eating their descendants. Wow. With Nashville hot spicing on them, you know, it's so weird. <laughs> Well, you know, if we're talking about exposition, I want to talk about somebody that's a real hero in this, and that would be Samuel L. Jackson as Ray Arnold. Wow. They give him so much to say about the computer systems, the way everything works, and he's chain smoking the entire time. He smokes it (laughs) down to the filter, like on more than one occasion. I I was actually afraid for him at one point because it was so close to the filter. I'm a former smoker. And if you smoke it down that far, you're actually going to start burning yourself. So I was like, ah, 
laugh. Jeez. Well, it's just like if he's <laughs> in that room, like, you know, we talk about like all of these different safety protocols and, you know, he sits down at Nedry's desk and he like pushes all the stuff off the desk. He's like, oh, it's so messy. And then he's in there with like this cigarette. I see no ashtray, guys. You know what I mean? So that's just <laughs> yeah. like going everywhere. Like if we look at the ground, is he just like stomping them out or like, what's up? Like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny when, when we look back. I mean, there's so many movies with this where it's like where it's futuristic. Somehow that involved cigarettes, right? Yeah. Aliens, alien rather. They were all on a spaceship just smoking cigarettes all day. I'm like, where's the smoke going? I don't, I, I really, right. have no idea. <laughs> it was just, it, yeah, it was like such, such a like, I don't I have know. to think. Yeah, I have to think it's like the stress of the job because it sounds like they are operating on such minimal staff. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I can only like attribute it to that possibly. Well, when he, yeah, because he looks like he's spent. You know what I mean? He's got his tie like just fully off. It's hanging around his neck. He's got his shirt and buttoned a little. He's got his head down. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like what happens in this movie is they just keep pouring more and more mounds of bullshit on him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he can mm -hmm. hardly like you know stay up anymore well, yeah because they everybody else kind of leaves at night or whatever yeah and then he's still stuck there and the only other person there is nedry who is terrible nedry clearly yeah i actually just wanted to make another point about the dinosaur bird lizard thing mm -hmm. quickly which is another really funny kind of thing that happened was that like friday i was watching some national geographic show and they were talking about the cassowary which is a big bird okay um and they made this huge big deal about how this bird has like an extra long retractable type claw that's like five inches long okay and that it can kick people and it's like around it would be around like your waist height so it could actually like kick you and like disembowel you with its crazy claw mm -hmm. and that's exactly what grant tells that little kid at the beginning oh about God. the raptors yep. and i was just like whoa because it just is so exactly the same thing and it just reiterated to me how dinosaurs are so bird-like which just blows yeah. my mind it's, I, that's also a really great scene when he's giving the speech to the little kid and the kid says you know it just looks like a six foot turkey and then grant goes into his whole thing of like here's the claw it would slash you here spilling your intestines so try to show a little respect next time okay and the kid's like okay <laughs> just walks away and that little kid is like super obnoxious i remember him from a bunch oh, of yeah. movies at that time and like in every single one of them, he's just like an obnoxious little weird nerd kid. That's funny because I don't really remember this person. I do because to me, his face is like just so odd and unique huh. that he's kind of unforgettable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I don't know. Like, I mean, he was on TV a lot. So maybe it was like your, uh, your anti-TV stance. Well, okay. Mm. Okay. So I was anti-TV, guys. But here's the thing. We didn't have you know, cable for a while. And when we did get cable, there was this hard no on the movie channels. It was like an absolute hard no. So then I just was like, okay, I'm going to watch every television program that ever existed. <laughs> and I did. And then like anytime there was like a movie on, you know, I was so excited. And of course it was edited for television. 
And so mm -hmm. that brought me to like a whole different odyssey later in life when I saw these movies that I've seen a million times. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's in there, too. Yeah, because they do get cut a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a good thing about Jurassic Parks. I don't think they would have cut too much for showing on TV. Maybe some of the most gory stuff. Even though this, people are getting eaten left and right, it surprisingly has very little gore. You really don't see very much. Yeah. I mean, it's PG-13 and like the the thing for it says like intense sci-fi horror or something. So it's not, mm -hmm. it's mostly for the scary part. I think that they are making you be careful. But there's not a lot of language or anything like that in this. No, it's I, really just like a scary, scary kids movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the question I have is for you, Claire, because you've read the book. So what happens to Dr. Malcolm? In the movie, I'm not too clear. Like, did he break his leg? Like, what? And then I, I think, you know, spoiler alert, I think he originally died in the first book with, with I read. And then Michael Crichton brought him back. In the second movie? Yeah. Okay, because everybody liked him and he wanted to jive with the mm -hmm. movies. Okay, so what what did happen to Dr. Malcolm in the book, in the first book? So it follows the same thing. He basically gets bucked by the T-Rex and, you know, his leg. I don't know if it gets broken or just a tear, but it, something happens to the leg. And so it's kind of similar. And then... um basically the whole rest of the book he's high on morphine so he's just kind of spouting off random random things and they're trying to sh shuttle him to, from safety to safety and so yes at the end of the book he gets killed off but then there's a second book that Michael Crichton wrote called Lost World and then they also did a movie on it and so he basically retconned uh, Malcolm's death to say, well, he died for a few minutes, but then we brought him back to life. <laughs> and so that was kind of how they got away with it, I guess. That's, That's awesome. I like that. I like that. Well, Michael Crichton really has a thing for these like theme parks gone wrong because he wrote the original Westworld movie and he directed it. I forget that he directed things, you know, and it's just like, mm. oh, wow. You know, so it's like we went from like robots That's that come to life. And now we've got we've got dinosaurs. He's got like almost like a Philip K. Dick type of thing or a Stephen King thing happening, in my opinion, because he passed away in 2008, I believe. And they're still going strong. And I think there's just enough material there. Very prolific. Yeah. yeah. We'll just see mm -hmm. it forever. Well, that's really interesting that he had Westworld and the theme park gone wrong thing, because I think like this is a kind of a revisit thematically for Steven Spielberg as well because it really has a jaws kind of a feel because you're having like that man versus nature also versus you know man thing going on too mm -hmm. because we have like you know the man versus nature with the dinosaurs obviously right but also people who don't have their own best interests at heart which is what happened in jaws yeah. as, as well i mean that to me was the most frustrating thing in jaws wasn't like the shark attacking people because that's the, the shark's nature it was like the idiot people in charge who were too concerned about you know losing money from this big you know holiday weekend that they put people in danger and that's the same thing here they're so concerned about making money that that's kind of like uh, the ends justify the means 
And, you know, we even have a, a more horrible example of that with the Nedry character. Oh, man. So he, he sells everybody down the river for a total of $800,000. <laughs> like, this guy, what are you thinking? You know, it's just like he goes and it's like, okay, you're going to steal the embryos. You're the worst. Okay, just take your stuff and leave. Don't do it so that you mess up everything and then you let all the creatures free. Well, I mean, what he was doing was even worse, though, because he was going to sell these embryos and we don't know what the people are going to do with them. I mean, no. We can conjecture, though. Yeah. And, you know, that's dangerous because it's letting them out of this controlled environment. Mm -hmm. If they're anywhere, you know, it could be really dangerous. So... Yeah, I mean, he's even the he's even like a step above. Like you have Hammond and Gennaro, mm -hmm. at least Gennaro, not at the very beginning, but more in the middle, who really just are more concerned about you know getting money from this enterprise. I mean, Gennaro is even worse than Hammond because Hammond said you know that everybody should have access to this information. Oh, and yeah. Gennaro's like, we could charge whatever we want. He said, we'll have a coupon day. <laughs> a coupon day. <laughs> that killed me. Yeah. What a jerk. I mean, it's so gross. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's so nasty. And it's just like, he's looking after these children, right? And so you're like, okay, you know, and, and he's kind of a jerk when, you know, Tim's like, oh, there's a box, there's these goggles. And he's like, don't touch it. It's expensive. It's like, get out of here. And then right. he abandons the children. And yeah. I think there's a real irony in the fact that he literally hides in the men's toilet. He is yeah. sitting on the toilet and the entire building is destroyed, yeah. you know, before he gets his comeuppance. Yes. You know, and it's, it is, it but that's is... a really good moment because oh, yeah. you're kind of on the T-Rex's team, at least in just yeah. that moment. You're like, Hey, he ate the right guy. You definitely have no, sympathy for him after he's left the kids in the car you're like okay i'm fine with him dying same kind of with nedry once he gets eaten by the dilophosaurus you're like well he kind of had it coming so to be fair it's interesting like i'll look back on it now and i see kind of why nedry did what he did not that it justifies it but just the fact that you know he doesn't he doesn't feel like he's getting paid enough for all the work that he's doing mm -hmm. he's having to do even more than what he bid for the job um and so definitely that does not excuse what he ends up doing but i can see why he was pushed to those limits yeah i actually now that you mentioned that i can feel the same way about my job right now so <laughs> but i'm not gonna like you know put the entire world at risk for my right. uh, dissatisfaction in the in the book um i think it gives a little bit more explanation because my immediate thought is we'll just get a new job go somewhere else and in the book he is kind of blackmailed by hammond oh. to be like um essentially hammond tells people don't hire this guy mm. and so nedry is forced to have to stay there and so that's kind of a catalyst for why he does what he does okay well that gives him a little bit more of a motivation i think yeah i mean that that completely changes it because they just show nedry as someone that, that's just selfish i mean that's really mm -hmm. what we get and it's just like you're like why would you trash this entire computer system why would you put people at risk 
the thing that is like stuck in my head and never leaves is him on the computer doing uh 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 you know with his uh, finger uh, uh. yeah right it's just like it doesn't leave you know that just makes me think of the other movie virtuosity oh, russell crowe with russell crowe and denzel washington which i don't know if you've seen because it's not very big movie but russell crowe is like a virtual reality construct um and yeah. he is like escapes from the computer it's kind of like a holodeck episode gone wrong on star trek hmm. um the next generation but um he also has like an uh-uh-uh when they're trying to do something i think they're trying to defuse to. a bomb i think yeah that's it. but he made it and he's like uh-uh-uh and that's just exactly <laughs> the same thing it also reminds me of archer do you remember that mm. parrot was it, was, it, was, it, was it a pirate right the pirate the the little the i don't remember what the i guess that was just a a, a stop gap in the computer system yeah i can't and remember it was, what it said but i i remember that we used to just watch it on repeat Do hush, you know what? what what uh-oh that's, that's it, what it <laughs> yes because you would just say it like over and over oh man and there's a youtube video that's just an endless loop <laughs> i played it i played it I think it's funny that I can play something that just repeats like the same few words and I'll still be like, what was that? You should like do a whole like remix of that and the uh-uh-uhs from Virtuosity <laughs> and Jurassic Park. I would be into it. <laughs> that would be a good video. Yeah. So who's your favorite character in Jurassic Park, Claire? Oh, it's, it's so hard to pick a favorite. I think Ellie Sattler probably for me is my favorite. There's definitely a shout out for... Jeff Goldblum as Ian Malcolm because I think he embodies that role so well but Ellie as a character I think is just awesome she's just amazing to watch I feel like she's that action hero if you were even gonna like try to to, to pick an action hero of the movie I feel like she's the one she's always going above and beyond to do what needs to be done she doesn't like to stay still at all even when you first see it with the sick triceratops she gets very into work mode and she's like all right what's the problem what are the symptoms let me take my hand into this pile of poop and try to see if there are berries inside of it um you know and she goes further on into being the one to turn back on the park and turn the systems back on i just think she's amazing yeah i love her too and she's brilliant you know she just sees like this one leaf at the beginning and realizes you know what they've done kind of while dr grant is like you know passing out <laughs> over the <laughs> but he sees the dinosaur although i have to say that's for your late ball i like dr grant's like whole growth over the course of the movie too and i think sam neill's a really good um actor in in oh, portraying yeah. that because you know he is kind of like this scientist with no heart you know at the beginning not that he's like a bad guy but he just is so much more concerned with mental matters you know that he doesn't have mm -hmm. much time for anything else and over the course of it when he's like forced to take care of these kids you know it really changes him as a person so i like that he is dynamic but the cool thing about ellie is that she's cool from the beginning so she yes. doesn't have to improve herself she is already phenomenal all right i got this is pretty wild guys so so go with me ellie is awesome and i was just like oh my god ellie and her name is ellie is a lot like Ellen Ripley, 
right? And aliens, because we have Jurassic Park, which we want to open for money. We know it's dangerous from the very opening of the film. It's a very bad place. She knows what's going on. She takes care of it. You know, she's with Muldoon for a good part of the movie, taking care of business. Muldoon kind of reminds me of like Michael Bean from Aliens, Mm -hmm. who she's with. You know what I mean? Until basically, you know, the end of the movie. She faces the terror alone when she gets the power back on. Right? Yeah. So it's like, I'm like, wow. We actually have like so many crazy parallels with that and i i love aliens you well, know it's did you know that james cameron tried to get the rights to this shut up yeah he missed it yeah. he missed it by like hours i guess Ooh. and spielberg got it instead he later said that he thinks it's good that spielberg got it because he thinks he would have made it too like gory and violent wow <laughs> which sounds like it's more like the book um but he thinks mm-hmm. spielberg like did a good job of making it more kind of watchable for a better a bigger audience Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because it is scary but it it's okay it's kind of like the the mummy in that respect like you know it was like you didn't see any blood it was scary right it was still terrifying but it's like what what do we see for blood like we see some on uh jeff goldblum right when they find him and his legs kind of messed up um tim when he gets blown off of the Oh my fans. god! His ear looks all messed up. <laughs> that looks so harsh. I can't yeah. believe Tim made it after that blast. I like screamed when we were watching it in the living room because I didn't remember that. I was like, <gasps> and it was just like surprise after surprise. Again, the last thirty minutes of this film, it's like I need a seatbelt. <laughs> it's true it's true yeah and special shout out to the kid actors in this because kids can oh, really yeah. make or break a movie i feel especially when they have a big part and you know these kids are kind of perfect i mean joe Montsello is great in a lot of things i've seen that kid in many many movies and he's always good um but the girl ariana richardson i think is the actress she is terrified all the time and i'm like right with her it's like they perfectly show you how you're supposed to be responding to the movie like you model your your behavior after their behavior so it's i think they did a fantastic job well it's yeah i think when she did her casting they essentially told her just scream for five minutes and she admitted this like high-pitched guttural scream and they were like okay you're definitely in the role now and she screams so much in the movie so much i know the poor kid she must have been like shredded by the end of it oh man yeah so here's a weird one so sam neil i looked at imdb okay and it shows that the piano came out in 1993 but then you take a look and it actually says it came out in february of 1994 even still, the fact that like Sam Neill, either like before or after this, that the next like theatrical presentation was the piano. <laughs> like, wow. That's I mean, a, a shift in tone. Yeah. That's I mean, very yeah. strange. he's very he always is like a guy. I don't know why he scares me. 
like I always think of like in the mouth of madness. Did you, did you ever see that one? I haven't. Okay. He's like, he's scary. You've seen him be scary and something. He's done it a bunch and I see yeah. scary Sam Neill a lot. So like when he's like good Sam Neill, I need to cool out for a bit. I'm like, <laughs> all right, let's just wait a few minutes. In the you mouth know? of madness. I did see in the theater. Oh my God. And by myself. Oh my God. How'd you do that? I don't, I drove all the, I I also, this is another reason I I miss movies sometimes is because the closest theater is like an hour drive. Okay. So, you know, unless I could get somebody to to drive me before I had a license, I was in trouble, but I got my license when I was like 15, 16 and I was able to start driving to the movies by myself. So I started seeing a lot more movies at that point. Claire, what is the first movie you saw in the theater? Oh my gosh. Um, I'm sure it was probably a Disney movie, but also the um, Jungle Book comes to mind. The Not the um, new live action one, but the old live action one from the 90s. I don't know if you all have either seen it. It also has Sam Neill in it, oh, surprisingly wow. enough, but my dad took me and I fell asleep. And so then I didn't <laughs> get to go to the movies for a while. <laughs> That's funny. For me, it was probably Star Wars of some sort. Um, but I don't really remember. I do remember seeing the Empire Strikes Back in the theater when uh, and when we were talking about New Hope on our New Hope episode. I talked about that, I think, because I came out of the movie and I said to my mom, was that eight hours long? <laughs> um, but I wasn't <laughs> mad about it. I was happy about it. Mm-hmm. I felt like, you know, I'd lived like an entire lifetime during this awesome movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I remember about that. But I also vividly remember seeing Footloose. Oh, yeah. As one mm. of the first movies I saw in the theater, somehow. That's a score. Yeah, with my mom and my cousin, who was a teenager at the time. Wow. Yeah. For me, I'm pretty sure it was Star Wars A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And my thing was, like, when I got these, you know, on VHS, you know, whether it be you taped it from TV or you actually got, like, you know, the real, like, VHS, I would watch those movies over and over again. And every time I watched it, I would convince myself that it's going to have a different ending. <laughs> yeah, that was like my little That's experiment. So yeah, yeah. Every time I'm like, it's going to be different. Well, I mean, I think it's just because mm-hmm. it really pushes your imagination, which I think this movie does too. I think Jurassic Park is very imaginative. And I can also see myself, if I had seen this at a different time of life for the first time, I think I would have really had like a huge imagination around, you know, what could happen with, with, you know, these dinosaurs coming back, you know, I think cloning was like, Mm. I don't know, Claire, if this is something that you kind of lived through as, you know, since you were so young at the time, but in the nineties, like cloning was like this very big thing to talk about and think about. Like, everybody had it on their mind. Because um, I don't know when, like, the sheep happened. Yes. Um, but yeah. but when, when cloning first started, like, there was a lot of, like, fear and, and also imagination and excitement around the idea of cloning when Dolly the sheep was That cloned. was it. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, I think that that's probably what Michael Crichton was writing from a place of as well was just thinking about all these scientific advances and you know what good things and bad things could come out of that well it's hard to think about this which i i try to think about i was like okay like let's say 
you know, you were able to like bring the dinosaurs back to life. You were able to just bring the whole team back. <laughs> what would the benefit be? Like what, what would be, what would be good? What, what could we have good come out of that? that that's what I was trying to think about. Like, could we coexist? I, I don't think so. I mean, but I mean, could they have like, I, I, I don't know. Like th this is like what I tried to think about. I know in the movie, you know, what happens is it's like, I'm going to do this theme park. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And they also highlight in the film how Hammond really didn't think through, you know, what he's done. Um, and, and another point in this is it's like man versus God too, because when we actually mm -hmm. go, when we see Gennaro, he goes to this place, mono de Dio. So hand of God, <laughs> yeah. right. And he follows, uh, this guy that's working there, like into this cave, into this mine. That's where they found the Amber mosquito. Yeah. And that oddly, that scene, that sequence oddly makes me feel like we're in Raiders, the lost Ark again. <laughs> There's something about just like the crouching down and, and you hold up the amber and, you you know, you walk through and it's like it, it's not exactly the same. But I feel like the guy that's working on the site somehow gives me an indie and I feel like Gennaro is kind of giving me a belloc. Hmm. I don't know. That's funny. Yeah, I don't know. That's a very interesting interpretation. Yeah, I never thought of that before, but I can see it. It's weird, right? Like, it's just not. It's not like, I don't know. I don't know. And the other thing, too, I wonder, and you, I know, are killer with trivia. So Gennaro slips a lot, right? Like he slips on that rock and then the guy holds his hand. That didn't look like acting. That looked like he just went down. Do you know? I don't know for sure if that was acting or not, but I am of the same mindset that that was a slip up and they kept it in. Yeah, because I, I was mean, like, Ooh. he had like dress shoes on, I think, in, you know, yeah, the wilderness. He had a whole suit on. You know, he's in like the jungle and he's wearing like a suit and dress shoes. Well, actually, I think he has on like almost like mini work boots. I looked at oh, it. Okay. It's that, it's that, um, mm like that kind of yellow brown okay. it looked it looked more like a work boot to me because that when we went back the second time to the beginning okay so you rewatched. yeah it. i was like i want to see this i'm just going by faulty memories yeah. but you know i do remember that when he shows up um later at you know at the jurassic park island mm -hmm. he has like a suit from like the waist up but then he just has shorts on i like that oh, yeah it's just like he's you know because when they're in the helicopter or wherever i was like it's like i have no pants on like i was so confused <laughs> that would have been a different yeah. thing yeah it would have been i would have been like it's this guy losing it like already it's funny but do you guys think we could coexist with dinosaurs no <laughs> i love that just, no. All right. i mean maybe herbivores like i could see it in some sense there but to coexist with carnivores let alone velociraptors who are smarter than us mm. you know it just i don't see it working out very well yeah i agree i think that it would have to be in an extremely controlled manner and i just don't know that we're capable of that as people because i think that something just like this would happen and maybe i'm just negative maybe me and michael Crichton are like you know pessimists over here or something but i just feel like if you tried to contain something like that there's no way that it would work i mean mm -mm. 
just look at the pandemic for an example. I mean, you know, we tried to contain that by like, you know, having people stay home and do things like that. And people just couldn't stand it. They Mm. just had to go out and do stuff, you know, so that it became endemic to the population. And I just feel like you'd have the same kind of thing here. You'd have somebody like a Nedry who just, you know, would fail to be able to keep it isolated because he's being mistreated and he wants the money or whatever. Something would happen where it would not be like, you know, just allowed to happen in this one place. There would be like a fight because, you know, this country would want to have control or want to have a partial ownership or something like that. I don't think that you could have the kind of cooperation that's necessary to make it workable. And I think that if it's not in a controlled environment, we very quickly become a lot lower on the food chain than dinosaurs. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, it It makes sense. I mean, the velociraptors, they said, right, would work together. They use strategy, right? And it's just like, mm-hmm. I don't know that we could that we could team up that way. I, I mean, also, <laughs> I feel like, you know, if we had these wonderful, beautiful herbivores that I would love to hang out with and sing with, like, I would be there every day up in the tree, <laughs> you know? But, like, I feel like there would be some chucklehead that would want to hunt them. Oh, of course. And I would just yeah. be like, come on. Instantly, somebody would need to have, you know, a, a, a brachiosaurus carcass. Ugh. It's gross, but true. <sighs> it's hard. It's, ah, man. People have, like, extincted most of our large fauna, like, elephants and rhinos and things like that are endangered because of hunters and things like that. Mm. So, people are gross. Yeah. Jurassic Park kind of you know co-signs that <laughs> it, it's yeah, it, yeah a corporation wants to make money that's what yeah i mean now. and that's what happens and that's like people's greed kind of overcomes things i mean the, the point initially i think is that hammond wanted to do this for knowledge you know for the furtherment of knowledge and that's what alan grant is excited about is the furthering of knowledge about dinosaurs and ellie also you know, they're learning things from the minute they start seeing them that they couldn't learn from just looking at the bones. You know, that was something that I found really interesting was, you know, when then he first sees them moving in herds, you know, he's like blown away by this because it's something that he could have theorized, but there was no way to prove it from the fossil record. And at the same time that there's something really enriching about that, there's something super dangerous about that as well, because there's things that you can't learn from the fossil record that are dangerous. Well, they didn't even know like the Dilophosaurus could even spit venom until after the, they had already created it. And they, you know, they knew it was a carnivore, but not that it could spit out venom and cause paralysis and then that's how they consume their prey so there were so many things that they learned after the fact yeah and that's you know that's the thing yes it helps further knowledge in a positive way but there's also negatives to that too there's drawbacks so yeah well we get to see i I mean in my opinion kind of the redemption at least in the movie it sounds like in the book hammond is the worst (laughs) but in the movie it's like Hammond, you know, is like, oh, this is kind of cool. It'll be fine. And then at the end, I love the fact that he's like, yeah, we're done. You yeah. know, it's over. Yeah. Um, 
that makes me happy. You know, I, I still have faith in Santa Claus, <laughs> you know, I mean, so one of the things I've read is that Steven Spielberg talked about there being a lot of production challenges on, on this film and the sequel. And I, what were they? Do you guys know? Cause I, I don't know. I think the biggest thing came from how they decided to create the dinosaurs. So there's obviously animatronics and practical effects that they used, but then there's also um, the CGI side of it. You know, when you kind of see the wide uh, dinosaur from head to toe, you know, that's digitally a digital dinosaur. But then when you see these close-up shots, that's the animatronic. And so I think they ran into some issues with the animatronics, mm. which poor Spielberg, I feel like he's always running into issues. Like when we did our Jaws episode, they had a lot of issues with the with the shark. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that was probably the biggest challenge for them to try to bring these dinosaurs back to life. Yeah, because that's such a big part of it. Like, if the dinosaurs didn't work, then this movie really wouldn't work. No. The whole thing kind of hinges on having these realistic dinosaurs. And what I read was that in post-production, Spielberg was actually shooting Schindler's List while he was trying to do post on this movie. Can you imagine that? And it became really difficult for him because he's like, you know, shooting Schindler's List and having this emotional experience of that movie. And then he has to pivot and go talk about like dinosaur effects and all this kind of stuff. And I guess it was like really hard on him, like emotionally and mentally Mm -hmm. to do that. And it kind of soured his feelings about this movie to some extent Mm -hmm. because it just didn't feel important because what he was doing otherwise but i think i'm hoping he kind of was able to push past that you know it was just like the situation he was in at the time yeah i mean it's completely different stakes i mean (laughs) jurassic park very awesome schindler's list wow i mean mean, you can't even yeah that's one of the best movies of all time like hands down for me and easily the best spielberg movie to me but it's not the same fare that he's usually doing no i mean schindler's list for me is such an emotional experience that i i you know i've only watched it a few times Mm. and i really loved it and i was like oh you know i'll watch again it's a great movie and then i like i go in and i'm like it's heavy though yeah i'm like okay i can't do this i gotta get out i've seen it many more times than i've seen jurassic park no kidding I love Schindler's List. It's and fantastic. even though it is like emotionally like devastating and destroying, <laughs> I've seen it probably like twelve to fifteen times. But wow. and I don't think I've even watched it once since you and I have been together. So wow. all of those times happened like between the time it came out and like, you know, two thousand or something. Well, I've seen it. I've seen it in the past twenty one years at some point, at least once. Well, at I did least. I did a lot of um, research around it for like a research paper I did when I was in 12th grade. Mm. So I watched it a bunch of times and then I wrote about it again in college a few times. So, yeah. Wow. It was a big one for me. Probably will never be a comfort films episode, though. (laughs) Yeah, I I get that feeling. That really fits into, you know, what we're doing here. No, not at all. (laughs) Unlike Jurassic Park, which does have like a, even though I didn't see it. You know, I don't have nostalgia around it like I have with some of our other movies that we pick. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't have nostalgia around Raiders of the Lost Ark really either. And I, but I still think it's a comfort movie for me as well because 
it just feels good to watch like it, it's I don't know there's some familiarity to it that feels good to see over and over again well for me it's like we've gone through you know a bunch of drive through zoos <laughs> you know which are, are really fun and this is like your ride, you know, at the drive-through zoo, but you've got dinosaurs. So it's like, for me, I love this movie because I feel like I'm going to the drive-through zoo dinosaur ride. That so is it's... brilliant. I never even made that connection, but you know, it is kind of nerve-wracking to be in the drive-through zoo too because you're driving and there's like a lion like right next to you or whatever. So, see, I'm usually pretty calm. I'm like, oh, look, look at the lion, look at the bear. Then they get close and then I freak out. But the lions and bears right. are pretty chill. It's the monkeys you have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, I got some funny pics of that. <laughs> got some funny pics of that. Yeah. Man. So, I mean, have you watched the sequels to Jurassic Park as much as the original? I haven't watched them as much. I've still seen them plenty of times. I think I actually saw Jurassic Park 3 um, in theaters with my sister. So I did go to theaters to see that one. And, you know, they're still enjoyable to watch. I Just nothing, though, holds up against the first one. Um, and and for me, I haven't really minded the Jurassic World movies, the, the new franchise that they've launched. Mm-hmm. I feel like the first one by far was the best as far as the story and paying homage to Jurassic Park. But there's just nothing that can capture the same feel as that first movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I've only seen the first of the newer Jurassic World movies. So I haven't seen the others. It's not because I didn't want to. It's just didn't happen but at some point i'm sure we'll watch them but i agree i think that it's just the i think the reason that jurassic park kind of blows you away is just because it's kind of the first time you're seeing like these dinosaurs and you are in the position mentally of like ellie and grant where you're you know seeing these things that you've read about and seen in books and all this stuff and you're seeing it like moving for the first time in a realistic, believable way um, and seeing it as an animal rather than, you know, an extinct picture in a book. Sure. And I mean, the very ending of the film, when they're actually on the T-Rex skeleton, right? And then you have the T-Rex and Velociraptor fight right there. Incredible. It, it's <laughs> like that is, you know, the reanimation. That is your dream you know, to see it. And I love the fact that Steven Spielberg knew this is what I wanted to see as a kid. Here we are, you know, and Michael Crichton, of course, you know, came up with it, but it's like when they're actually, you know, shooting the movie and getting all these pieces to work, I can't imagine the hours that were spent on on the effects on, on all these things. And, but at the time, and even still, I'm like, wow, you guys, did this like this whole team made dinosaurs real yeah i was um going to say yeah it's so crazy that when you kind of dig into what it took to create the um dinosaurs the animatronics uh, is just one part of it that's also so much effort and work into creating these realistic dinosaurs but then you have the cgi side of it and at the time cgi wasn't as like it is today um 
And so I think originally they were going to create the dinosaurs using stop motion. And what they realized was that, you know, stop motion, it's very obvious that it's not realistic because you don't have motion blur. And so they ended up taking, Phil Tippett was the person who who was behind the, the stop motion animation. So they took the footage to ILM, I think it was the name at the time, and they essentially brought the footage and they said, try to make this a little bit more realistic. And the animators there decided against what their boss said to do. They decided to try to create a T-Rex using computer graphics. Wow. And so they did. And they showed it, sneakily showed it to a producer with Jurassic Park and then showed it to Spielberg. And they said, we've got to do all of the dinosaurs like this from from here on it. So really, it was not the initial plan to have all of these CGI dinosaurs. It was this team of animators who, you know, came in and they were like, we want to show that we can do this, even if it's a small part. Now, the, the that's amazing. But the horrible side was that it really was a detriment to, you know, stop motion animation. And, you know, it's, it's kind of similar with how the theme of the movie is where technology is kind of advancing and you kind of have to evolve with it. Yeah. So it's a very interesting parallel. Wow. That's yeah, a that's great true. point. I mean, it's because there's that whole discussion where they're kind of walking in and uh, I guess Grant says, uh, well, I think Malcolm says that they're extinct. They are extinct. And that now. was a real like, that was actually pulled from a conversation, I think, that Spielberg had with Phil Tippett because Phil oh, Tippett, wow. you know, he wow. felt very much like, I'm out of a job now. I feel extinct. And Spielberg said, I'm going to use that in the movie. Thanks. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I guess that makes me realize <laughs> I read another thing where Spielberg said that he felt like his personality is most similar to the character of Hammond. So I guess now I understand mm-hmm. that a little more. <laughs> and that's probably why he made Hammond less of a jerk. Yeah, than, more sympathetic because yeah. he saw himself in that. Um, and Michael Crichton says that Dr. Malcolm is his kind of more similar personality. Oh, wow. Which I see as well because you kind of do have to have that kind of pessimistic outlook or at least realistic outlook to come up with the idea of Jurassic Park and you know the destructiveness potential therein and I I don't wow I mean, <laughs> I'm really like I'm really like loving this because there's so much information coming that I'm processing and I'm like Wow. I I mean, you know what you're saying about the advances in technology. Yes. I remember at the very beginning, Grant's like, I hate computers. You know, he likes the old ways and they're like, he has, you know, a bad touch. He like, he touches the monitor and it shorts out and he touches it again. So we, we have, we have all that right from the beginning. And I'm thinking back and a lot of the movies that, that we've actually looked at fairly recently, right? So I think about Ray Harryhausen, right? And I think about the stop motion, and that Class was his thing. Titans, yes. Yeah. And then I think about, mm, yeah. you know, like the later things like Willow, where they did that transformation, right? And that was the first kind of computer move. Mm-hmm. Then they went the and they did Terminator. Yeah, Terminator 2, mm-hmm. right? And that was even crazier. And now, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't even think about that, but 
Yeah, the early 90s was a time when CGI was really in its infancy, but really was coming up so quickly. Because I just remember these movies coming out that would have like these big CGI things. Mm -hmm. And that's what everybody wanted to see. Like, even whether the movie was that good or not. Like, I remember Twister. When Twister came out and then had like that scene with like the CGI cows going up in the in the tornado. And everybody was like blown away by that. And it was just like, you know, this is the new thing. And it was like kind of a world ending for practical effects to some extent. I know that some people still use practical effects, but even with practical effects, there's usually like a CGI element now too, just to smooth it out Mm -hmm. or like fix it up. You know, in this in this movie, there's so many moments where people are like supposed to be like super traumatized and mm. terrified. Yeah. And I don't know like if they had an actual something next to them that was like scary enough to make them feel scared or if they were just acting scared, but I believe it every time, so I mean, I think a lot of it was them just having to pretend a lot of the time you know when they first see the brachiosaurus there's nothing there and so they kind of have to um act like they're seeing a dinosaur for the first time i do think spielberg would be behind the camera making dinosaur noises (laughs) just to try to add to the realism maybe i don't know Um, if that would scare me or make me laugh (laughs) (laughs) little both both. exactly (laughs) But the first time they saw a dinosaur, well, one of the dinosaurs was the scene where you see the triceratops. And that was the first time the actors got to see what looked like to them something physical that they could actually react to. And so a lot of their reactions, I think, are genuine because it did look so realistic, even though it's, you know, a puppet and there's people behind it moving everything here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, they really felt like it was real. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I could, like, I could really see myself being really excited just to pet the triceratops <laughs> you know like laura dern yeah. she's like petting like that like kind of the nose horn i think <laughs> and she is just like wow and like sam neil is like wow he's like listening you know to the stomach and they have it moving up and down and you know you yeah. see the eye moving yeah i i would be in heaven with that yeah. i i wouldn't want to leave i would just say let's just do the rest of the movie here that's funny. right yeah when i was a kid we went to this, I don't know if this still exists, but in Memphis, Tennessee, there used to be a museum called the Pink Palace. Okay. I don't know what that means, by the way, but it's like a natural history or science type museum. And at the front of the museum, they had an animatronic triceratops. Oh, wow. And you would like, you know, pay money to make it move around and stuff. And mm-hmm. it was like the coolest thing I ever saw. When I was little, I was just like, wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. I have to look that up. I'm interested to know, is that still a thing? Would it be totally gooby now if I saw it? Or if I would still think it was cool? I don't know. But at the time, I was like, whoa. If it's like, I don't know, if it's if it's like something that you always wanted to see and you get to see it like come to life in some way, yeah, I, I would fully be there. I mean, after watching Jurassic Park, like I am really excited to do more dinosaur stuff. Like I just want <laughs> more dinosaurs, you know? Yeah, like, it makes me want to watch the other movies, even though I know I don't like them as much as this. I'm still like, hmm, maybe I can watch, you know, the other ones. I remember like going through the other films and it was like 
every single one of them has the payoff of the dinosaurs. So it's like you get to see these, you know, fantastic creations. And that for me is, is like my, my favorite part. Like, it's funny, you know, because I find myself, even though the dinosaurs are like the bad guys, right. I, I kind of, I'm like, I really like the dinosaurs, you know, I'm like, Hey, these You're dinosaurs kind of on their are cool. Team. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it, it's really, it, it's weird. Like, I don't want to see them eat people. You know, I'm not into that, but I, I just would like to see them kind of hanging out. Like, what do they do out there? Well, you know, you kind of have a point because like they didn't ask, you know, to be brought back. You know, it's not their fault. Yeah. And they're just following their own nature. Like their carnivore's nature is to eat. Mm hmm. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's what it is. So they're just following their nature. They're not really, it's kind of like the shark in Jaws, like, you know, although at least in Jaws, you know, it's coming into where humans are, but you know, the ocean is its habitat and people are encroaching on that. And so, you know, you kind of get what you pay for there. And that's the same thing here. Like the dinosaurs didn't ask to be brought back. They're what they are mm -hmm. and you're trying to like control them you know like they try to control the t-rex by putting like that goat there for it to eat right but that you know they say the t-rex wants to hunt carnivores want to hunt they don't want to just you know be served a meat plate <laughs> you know they want right. to hunt something because that's in their nature well i i understand what you're saying with the dinosaurs and i i, I think i can go with you there but I'm, I'm of the firm belief that Jaws is an evil being. <laughs> I, I think Jaws is sentient. He knows. He has a grudge. <laughs> he is going to take the people down. Well, I mean, it turns into that when they're on the boat and like, you know, I get it. But that's like a Moby Dick thing. I think there should have been a scene in Jaws with like Jaws and the mayor, like having drinks, you know, just <laughs> kind of talking it out. That would have been a different movie. It would have been, but it's just like, people talk about Jaws and the effects being, you know, difficult and, and that the shark was difficult to manipulate. But I have to tell you, I think Jaws looks fantastic. I have never watched that film. Yeah. Right. I'm just like, these are like people that are able to see a lot more than we are. I, I, when you have a vision and it's like, I want exactly this and, and you have to change that. I, I'm sure like in the back of your head, you're like, oh, I wanted this here. But when I see Jaws, I see perfection. I see a 10 out of 10 movie. Mm. You know, I, I'm fully invested in everyone and everything, including Jaws. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that Jurassic Park has a similar thing. Like, I don't really think there's any missteps. No. In this movie. No. Like, it's a great story of, you know, man trying to control nature and right. failing. And also human nature biting itself in the butt. Mm -hmm. You know, but we have these heroic characters who, you know, manage to overcome and escape. And even though they can't correct you know the the initial error at least they're safe you know they're safe they've saved themselves and the kids and everybody so i like a happy ending yeah i very much happy, like a happy sure, ending yeah. and that's what i like we we get away we do have some friends that fall along the way or you know not friends i well, guess yeah 
the not friends i i i'm like ah, i think that's an acceptable loss like nedry okay you know genero okay but like you know ray arnold come on yeah come on yeah you know don't that's... take that guy don't take muldoon yeah just get him in the car it's too bad it is so it's like i don't know i i love a good ending and we have it you know the the family is intact you know wh- which is great and again another aliens thing it's like you know when aliens with newt they have ellen finds newt and then she's looking after newt the entire time even though that's not her kid Mm -hmm. and that's what we do here right with sam neil and laura dern looking after tim and lex so and he found the right kids this time so it's not like that kid from the beginning oh man imagine if the movie was that kid from the beginning (laughs) Oh, man. He would have just thrown it to the T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And Tim, like, idolizes Grant, too. And he's so fascinated by dinosaurs. You know, very opposite of that kid who couldn't even tell you what a velociraptor <laughs> is. And so I like that switch. And then the progression, too, where Grant, he's kind of just annoyed at the kids that they have an interest in him and his work. And so it starts at that point, but then by the end, you know, he's kind of forced to be the adult figure for them because he's, you know, the only one left. And Lex says, you know, he left us, he left us in reference to Gennaro and, and um, Grant says, well, that's not what I'm going to do. And I think that was really at that moment where he kind of assumed this parental figure role for them. And it's like, I'm going to keep an eye on you. I'll stay up all night to make sure the dinosaurs don't come back. Like, I'm going to protect you guys. Yeah, you trust him. You fully trust him. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's a it's funny because she Lex looks like she could be like related to Ellie. And then you have Tim, yeah. who's kind of like a mini me at least you know (laughs) mentally of grant so it's kind of like those kids could be his kids and i think that he sees that and that's what enables him to kind of find some connection with them where he couldn't with weird little bug-eyed kid at the beginning (laughs) 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 oh man i was also a weird little bug-eyed kid so no hate (laughs) I was a nerdy, but I was like nicer. I wasn't like, I wouldn't have been like, that looks Mm -hmm. like a turkey. I mean, a turkey. A six foot turkey. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I would have called it a turkey. Well, it's, it's hard for me still to, I know I'm harping on it, but it's hard for me to imagine like dinosaurs with feathers. And we've even seen this. I think that we went to the Natural History Museum here in LA and I think that they have like either an actual like dinosaur in amber type thing or you know a picture of it or whatever where it like has feathers and i'm like does not compute i don't know it's it's just such a different look it makes me think about terrence stamp from priscilla queen of the desert (laughs) yeah that's That's what i think really funny yeah that's a great ridiculous comparison but so i think yeah i've seen like illustrations of t-rex with feathers and I'm like, what? I don't mm. know. They don't know if it had them or not. They're like, well, maybe it just had like a fuzz on it, but they just don't know. Mm. But I've seen it with like, they drew like real feathers on it and stuff. And you're just like, yeah, what is this? It's yeah. very bizarre. So what would be, Claire, your favorite Steven Spielberg movie? 
Oh, it's this one. This is I it? Mean, all right. All right. Probably, yeah, I would say so as far as his movies go. I mean, I'm a Steven Spielberg fan anyway, oh, yeah. but yeah, it's hard to pick a favorite, but this one definitely, I think, takes the top spot for me. I just love it so much. And like I said, I could watch this time and time again. It is my number one comfort movie on top of it being my favorite movie. There's so much to learn and so many fun things to also think back to as an adult like we've talked about there are these huge themes about the dangers of genetic engineering and man's attempt to control nature and I really love that it's not just a dinosaur movie it also explores these issues and shoulds and shouldn'ts there's a really I mean there's obviously so many great lines from Malcolm Mm. the one being life finds a way but my other favorite probably my favorite one of the whole movie is your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should and I just I think I get shivers every time I hear that because that's so right he is absolutely 100% right they were just so preoccupied with getting it done that they didn't stop to think about the ethics and you know the effects of what they were doing in creating this park and bringing these dinosaurs back to life yeah that's my favorite line also because it's just true it's so true and he sees that kind of in a very objective way that you know they have made this error of thinking that you know the science is like the means to the end in itself without thinking about what the effects of it would be and we see that like with bd wong's character right um where you know he's just kind of oh yeah we did this oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very arrogant about what they've done and in that there's no way that it could possibly be problematic. And, you know, Dr. Malcolm kind of gets that even if you think that you take all the precautions you possibly can, there's going to be some X factor that you miss. And, you know, you can't be so arrogant about it that you have like this tunnel vision that's what they've done you know and using the amphibian dna turns out to have been like a major misstep you know they just thought oh we can do this if we do this but they didn't think what the consequences of that would be and the consequences are dire because it allows these raptors to uh, reproduce Mm mm-hmm what i'm really impressed by is the science in this now i'm Mm -hmm. not going to say I, you know, have a ton of science knowledge, but I will tell you, I find it very fascinating that a lot of the statements in this film, you can look up and go, yes, I love that. I love when you have that type of accuracy. Yeah, it's a a smart, it is a smart movie and it does, you know, as exciting and fun as it is, I think that the ethical quandary that it raises is probably the most exciting thing about it. And that's what makes me want to say, you know, oh, I hope I have time to read the book and, you know, dig into it in that respect, because I think that's um, what makes it rewatchable because mm-hmm. there's always like that debate that you can have over and over about, you know, who's doing the right thing. What is the right thing? Should people do these things? And it's, it's really cool. It's awesome. It's awesome. And it's, yeah, I like it. I, I mean, science movies, you guys have Interstellar, which is like science, 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 science. <laughs> mm-hmm. We so, love that movie too. Yeah, but... it's fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, science movies wise, 
So what are what are like your science movies? Oh my gosh. Um Yeah, like like you said, I mean Interstellar definitely comes top top of mind in that case. I guess, you know, as far as science movies, I guess there's always like a um realism issue with me with science as like at what point is it science and sci-fi mm-hmm. and so i do have a lot of like favorite sci-fi movies like um a little terminator and yeah. alien and all of that um but as far as real science movies go i mean it's hard to compare the other things to interstellar because it just i think it does such a great job of explaining things to people in a grasp you know a way that everyone can grasp these huge concepts about black holes and wormholes and all of that sort of thing um but yeah i'd say as far as sci-fi movies go i mean this one also jurassic park definitely takes top spot for me too yeah yeah it's it's a good science movie it's a good ethics movie i kind of love a good ethics movie like mm-hmm. i don't know like i mean the top one of the ones that comes to mind for me is like equilibrium oh yeah um, which is like the ethics of like government control and and you know things like that so i love i love maybe said ask these questions and explore all the possibilities of that because you know i think that this movie kind of presents the idea that there could have been a possible way to make this work but people need to be human nature needs to be different in order to make it work you know it's like if you tweak this or you tweak this then this could have happened but because you know you have these things that all contribute to making it not work it doesn't work and that opens the door to say well how could we make those changes so that it would work Mm -hmm. and I, i love that stuff it's it's complicated it's like a machine to pick apart yeah when you're able to like sit back and watch you know this this i I don't know fun mathematical formula (laughs) you know just happen in front of you that's something i enjoy because um i'm i'm a horrible horrible math person i'm not good (laughs) at all um like for real like you know we've talked about it yeah we did we've talked about it a bunch i I was like in a remedial math class in college we started by adding sticks for real um my dad was like an accountant he would always tell me things like numbers are fun i i never got that but i i do have my dad was a math major as well actually and also yes he majored in math he loved math he was a substitute math teacher what he adored it and thought you know he didn't understand how i could not like math because i I was like an english and history kid wow Um, but my dad was like math science guy that's and my brothers my younger brothers both accountants so it's just like yeah i'm the one (laughs) you know And, and so it's like i love seeing these things because it's like maybe i can I can understand it. And even if I can't understand it, I can appreciate it. And I feel like, you know, there's something inside of me that's like, this feels real. And I'm like, all right, you know, (laughs) and it's, you know, that that's what it is for me. Well, and this also is a movie that shows you what movies can do. Mm. I think like the Mm -hmm. amount of effort that it took from however many people, you know, contributed to making this film is kind of staggering when you like sit down and think about it because just even just very specific pieces like the effects or 
like how much work it took for them to get that shot of like the water you know vibration i guess they kept trying mm-hmm. to figure out what they how they could do it and they ended up putting like guitar strings underneath and plucking the guitar string oh wow. and that's what made it yeah ripple you know just all these interesting things of people kind of getting together and saying like we want to do this how do we do it over and over and over into like this great you know two-hour movie mm-hmm. thinking about that is kind of mind-blowing so i guess i can't be completely pessimistic because people do manage to work together and do phenomenal things like this yeah. even if they totally blow it in other areas <laughs> yeah I, I mean when you see that teamwork when you see it come through that is something again it just it makes me light up yeah well i read a story i read a quick thing right before we came in here about kathleen kennedy working on this movie mm-hmm. and they had been in hawaii and Kauai. that's where they shot some of this and they got hit by a hurricane Ooh. and mm-hmm. she like the things that she did to kind of get them on track we're like herculean like this woman is like a monster of awesome Mm -hmm. like she like hitched a ride somehow to another island and started getting like all these supplies delivered and did it in like a matter of hours (laughs) i mean this lady is like a can-do person so i was pretty impressed i think you know i would go back and read more about how she did that because it was pretty impressive yeah i I love yeah there's oh please Oh, I was going to just add to that because I know the story you're talking about, too, and how they um, the hurricane that hit Hawaii was like right after they had finished filming. They actually included some of the footage from the hurricane in the movie. Uh Like when you actually see the waves crashing into the island, there's like two very brief clips. But though that was a real that was the actual hurricane um, that happened in Hawaii. And so then, yeah, after that happened, they were basically on martial law on the island they couldn't leave and so kathleen kennedy um ended up running into the pilot from raiders of the lost ark and (laughs) i guess he was flying for hawaii airlines and she talked to him and she got him to fly them all back wow wow it's crazy it's crazy yeah you gotta go read it you'll flip well and again it's crazy it's the pilot from raiders the lost ark you're talking about the actual pilot in the movie yeah. What? Yeah, Fred Sorenzo or Sor- Sorenzen, I think. See, what we what we did. Yeah. I yeah, I was like, what happened with this guy? Why didn't he come <laughs> back in the next Indiana Jones movie? Well, he's saving people in real life. Okay. All right. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So that's awesome. But yeah, I mean, that's all I think I have to say. I mean, I feel like we've covered so much ground in oh, this yeah. episode yeah I'm like do we talk about this 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 because there's so much to talk mm-hmm. about but it's really awesome claire did you have anything else that you wanted to add that we haven't gone over um i guess a good way to end is just to say that i'm really glad that the t-rex is the hero at the end of <laughs> of the movie and saves them all which was not the original plan but again because of how great the special effects ended up becoming spielberg wanted one last shot of the t-rex in the movie and so that scene came together and i just love when you think that they're gonna get eaten by the velociraptors and then in pops the t-rex to 
grab the Velociraptor midair <laughs> and save them both. And then you have the iconic scene where it turns and roars and then the sign floats down that says, you know, when dinosaurs ruled the earth. And it's just an amazing way to finish off the movie. That is really great. Yeah. I Incredible. love that too because yeah, I mean all the T-Rex stuff, like we said, like when you're a kid, I think most people think T-Rex is like the coolest dinosaur. So it's great that he could terrorize them early on and then save them in the end. <laughs> and really it just right. reminds you that people are kind of like not that important. <laughs> the T-Rex is just like whatever, you know. Yeah. It doesn't really enter into his thing. Either your food or just get out of the way of the food. That's kind of his deal. Yeah. Anything else for you, John? No, I mean, I, I love this. I love talking about this. Yeah, this I, was this great. Was fun. This was really fun. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about more Spielberg in the future. He's got a million movies, all incredible. Um, uh, thank you, Claire, yes. for coming. Uh, this was really fun. Thank you for joining us. Did you want to do a little quick plug oh, for please, yeah. Why the Flick or any other projects? Um, so right now we're just doing episodes still for Why the Flick. Um, we are on pretty much everywhere you listen to podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Basically, just Google us and, and you'll find us at Why the Flick. Um, we're also, like you mentioned, on Instagram and then we're also on Twitter and Twitter and uh, TikTok. Sorry. And then we do have a letterbox account where we add our movie reviews there too. And so all of that is at Why the Flick. So you can follow us there and see what we have coming up but i just want to thank you too so much for inviting me to come on your podcast and to talk about jurassic park i always feel like i have um a really odd amount of knowledge about jurassic park that really only comes in handy during trivia or you know doing podcast episodes like these so i'm very excited to geek out on jurassic park oh we appreciate it a ton i have similar knowledge of things like star trek and things like that and i'm always like am i killing everyone with all of my trivia (laughs) Uh, but you know it's good to have a place where you can actually deploy it in a safe environment and (laughs) we're very very happy that you shared it with us because this was really a lot of fun i learned a ton about this movie yeah um you know i felt like i'd already read a lot of trivia but i even still had more to to learn which was great so thank you for joining us and we'll definitely do it again sometime. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely. So thanks everyone for listening to our Jurassic Park episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we will see you next week until then. Stay comfy. Stay comfy.